Hello all and welcome to a new episode of the Horror Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Don and Ellie, and tonight I have a special guest with me. I have Caitlin Marceau. Hey, thanks for having me. Ah, it's great to uh, have you on board. I really appreciate it. So um, for tonight's list, we have decided to choose our favorite actresses slash final girls. Yes. <laughs> so uh, this was a, you said this was a topic that was uh, pretty uh, familiar and near and dear to you. Um, little elaboration for our listeners. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I am a horror author um, and I tend to write a lot of material that centers around, you know, feminist issues with like female protagonists. Um, and women's studies is actually an area of interest of mine that I went into in university. So I have like, I just, I'm so invested in it. And of course, you know, the horror genre is my favorite of all of them. Um, and not long ago, I actually wrote uh, a giant list for Tilt Magazine about um, iconic women in horror. So this is just definitely a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Mm, nice. All right. So yeah. Um... This is going to be a fun one because we kind of, I mean, at least on my end, I kind of mixed it up a little. Um, I mean, I have a lot of actresses in general, but um, there's also a couple of um, final girl performances in here. So, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. So (laughs) I'm excited. All right. So uh, let's start out. Um, Let's get uh, our number 10. Sure. Um, So for me, it's actually uh, Thomason from The Witch. Um, it's a 2015 film. Robert Eagers directed it. Um, and Thomason, uh, she's just she's just the coolest character to me, uh, even though she doesn't seem to have like a crazy amount of lines. Um, she's just so if you haven't seen The Witch, essentially, she is this um, this young woman. Uh, sorry, I should mention she's played by Anna Taylor. Uh, sorry, Anna Taylor Joy. Excuse me. Um, and essentially it's in, you know, the Puritan times, and she's with a really strict religious family. Uh, so strict, in fact, that despite the fact that they're Puritans, they're essentially exiled from their town, right? And they kind of go into the middle of nowhere to start life anew. And I just thought it was such an interesting film and just such an interesting character getting to see this girl try to not only wrestle with the life that is expected for her, including, you know, essentially child rearing her, you know, her siblings and um, having to be super obedient to her parents, you know, in particular her father, um, and then finding out that, you know, her mother doesn't really like her and they're all kind of looking to send her away to, to work elsewhere. Um, she just has her entire life dictated to her. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, obviously, um, but towards the end of the film, essentially everyone in her life has perished and she finds herself alone um, after being accused of witchcraft and, and you know, being in league with the devil this whole time. And at the end of the movie, she actually does sign Satan's book to become a witch. You know, she is essentially embracing what they all feared her to be. And it's just so great because you get to see her evolution from this, you know, questioning young woman to someone who's finally able to kind of take control of her future and her destiny and make this choice for herself, even if it's the counterintuitive one. So I'm just I'm over the moon. I love that movie so much. And Thomason is is very much my, you know, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic one. Um, I, I really, really enjoy it as well. Um, if I was a little bit higher on the film, I probably would have put her on there just because 
for me, I, I, I find that she doesn't really do much in the film until the third act when yeah. a lot of the stuff just kind of, you know, she starts reacting to everything going on around her. So I think that kind of downplays her for me a little just because she just kind of acts as window dressing until the third act when everything that everything that's been built up just kind of pushes her to finally start, you know, embracing the journey. But um, in terms of what you're saying, I, I do enjoy it. I do think it's a fantastic role and I, I've become a fan of hers over the years. So um, I, I do, I do appreciate a lot what you said. Just like I said, if I thought higher of the character, I probably would have, I probably might've put her on my honorable mentions, but. Yeah. yeah and she's definitely a character where things happen to her as opposed to her yeah. being more like yeah, she's having not, the agency. Yeah, she's not, you know, a, a driving factor in the storyline. She's just more of an, a, a neutral observer until, like you said, the third act when, you know, her family's, you know, er, everything starts push, everything starts forcing her into action. But yeah, I see. This is the thing for me. I I feel like her character is quite passive throughout. I definitely don't right. disagree that she lacks the agency. But what I thought was for me, anyways, again, this is just <laughs> yeah, purely, no worries. You know, from my my you know my perspective. A lot of women at that time didn't have agency, you know, like right. I think it would have for me been so much weirder if she was this like, let's get it, guys, kind of, you know. Yeah, if she was a, if she was a yeah. little bit more of like a vocal, if she was like a little bit more of like an outspoken vo or vocalizer, it, it may have looked a little odd. Yeah, it, so, it yeah, definitely yeah. felt out of like time and place for her. Yeah. So I think the fact that she even like to me the big moment isn't so much that she has a lack of agency throughout because like she really she she doesn't do all that much over the course of it. I mean she disobeys her father. She does kind of take charge with her brother. They go through the woods. You know she is at the center of the drama. Um, but to me what I find is almost like a reclamation of her agency is the fact that like everyone is telling her to be afraid of witches and to be afraid of Satan and they're a very God-fearing household. So to me, there was agency and courage in her taking that choice to essentially embrace everything her family had been afraid of and everything she had been told to reject as a means of like making her own future. But she definitely is more of like a passive character compared to some of the other final girls out there. Yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of a weird one where being it, we're keeping it um, period accurate kind of takes her takes her agency out of it compared to a lot of others. So it's not really a fault of her. It's more just you know the fault of the time period itself. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, it's still a great choice. Yeah, um, for my number ten. Uh, I, I kind of went a little offbeat with some of my choices. Um, I think you'll probably find that as we go on with the list. So um, my first one, I went this one just basically um, for inclusion, just to uh, make sure the name is out there and uh, make sure people realize um, the legacy and importance of it. I went uh, Fay Ray as Andero in King Kong. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, um, I would say, you know, this is easily like the first final girl or, you know, scream queen, what you would want, you know, whatever term you want to use. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this is still a, uh, it's still a fantastic performance because you realize, you know, this is 1933. You don't have the final girl role set anywhere yet. This is you know, like a prototype. So you still have, you know, everybody trying to, you know, save her. But the fact is, is that, you know, she's still the first person that you can really look at in the genre and say, you know, she was, you know, a legitimate screen queen because 
she stood up and what she you know played the role with Kong. You know, she's up there, she's taken captive, and she doesn't turn into the shrieking violet. She, you know, she stands up to him, and she, you know, she she doesn't really necessarily like go toe to toe and like be as vocal as you know the character was in the '76 version, or you know, as playful as you know the version in the 2006 character version. But you know, still the fact is, is that you know she went with Kong and she stayed with him and she survived. So I. I, I realize it's not necessarily like a great performance, but I think just, you know, necessarily in terms of being like historical and everything, just keeping the name out there and mentioning it. I, I think that's pretty much, you know, something that deserves deserves mention, especially on a list like this. Oh, totally. No, that's a good choice. Yeah. All right. So uh, that moves us to our number nine. So mine, actually, did you want to go? Do you want to do number nine? All right, so uh, then my number nine would be Countess Mercala, Ingrid Pitt in The Vampire Lovers. Oh, that's such a good choice. I know. I, I'm a huge fan of that movie. Um, It's one of my favorite, if not maybe my favorite Hammer, Hammer film, and I'm a huge fan of them in general. But I absolutely just love the way that Ingrid Pitt plays this role. Um stately composed you know she has that victorian air to her but then she's also got that mischievous side she's also somebody that you know you can't just take your eyes off of her you know for a second not just because of you know her physical appearance but you know she's got that you know mysterious side that she's gonna just slit your throat anytime she gets the chance to (laughs) and you know she would too (laughs) exactly and i mean you know it's such a fantastic role and you know the the fun that she has just playing tricks on you know that entire family and just wiping them out from underneath them you know stealing every single one of the family members you know all of the female family members stealing every single one of them laughing about it and then you know throwing it in the men's face i i absolutely love the way that she does that yeah and yeah it's one of my like i said it's one of if not my favorite hammer films of all time so being such a huge fan of that film as i am i i I definitely had to include her in this one so yeah this one was a a, an easy choice to make the list yeah i know that's that's a great choice actually (laughs) all right so uh we'll move on to uh number eight uh your number nine yeah oh yeah um so kind of keeping in not a similar vein in in you know thematically but kind of going off that family tangent uh, I actually have uh, Grace Ledomas, um, Samara Weaving from 2019's Ready or Not. Um, I mm. love that movie so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> it has to be one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, in fairness, I'm also a painfully big fan of Samara Weaving. So for me, it was quite an easy choice to put on the list. Um, but I think the thing that I really like the most about it and, and the most about her character in particular and I like that she's essentially resisting the pressures of this new family right she like her entire journey isn't just surviving but it's essentially rebelling against and rejecting assimilation into this new family um she's not just going along with things she really is kind of fighting tooth and nail for her own survival and unlike some of the other movies where you have you know, in, in terms of like, you know, your your killer or your, you know, your antagonist, this is an entire family that's out to get her. 
you know, it's very much, a, you know, a, a full unit that she should be embracing and welcoming and wanting to be a part of. You know, you have all these other horror movies out there where, you know, you'll do anything for the family. You know, they'll die for their families. And she's not so keen on any of that. She's she's really rejecting it, um, which I think is a really interesting kind of contradiction, or not contradiction, but um, juxtaposition, given how badly she wants a family. Like, the only reason she's getting married in this movie is because of how much she's wanted a family her whole life because she didn't really have one growing up. So I found that rejection of it was really interesting. Um, I'm also obsessed with her using her wedding dress as like a weapon and tool for survival um, and using like the wedding dress and that wedding imagery again as that rejection of family, whereas normally it's kind of classically used as, you know, a symbol of being accepted into one, right? So I, I'm just weirdly obsessed with this movie. <laughs> Yeah, um, me too, because she's on my list. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a lot of the same thing, a lot of those same things that you brought up are part of the things for me is it. I, I think this is probably one of, if not the best modern final girls, because so good. Yeah. I mean, you know, not only is she having to outwit, you know, more than one person, the fact that she's doing it in such an unconventional way where she's not necessarily fighting back, but more just necessarily doing what she can to survive. Like she's literally, yeah, she's, you know, like you said, she's using, you know, her wedding dress to tie holes in her hands or to, you know, rappel downstairs or, you know, changing out of her wedding shoes into high top sneakers because she can't run around in heels. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like, I mean, in a, I, I don't want to really say too much because she's on my list, but yeah, that, I, I, I love that movie. I'm a huge fan of that as well, so. Oh, so good. So it, good. <laughs> it, it's, so, it's such a fun time. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that one, so. <laughs> yeah, I was tempted to move her up in my list, and then I kept her at nine, and then, oh, man, I, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> she was my number nine. Yeah. Um, so if we're, I guess since we're going back and forth, let's move to uh, your number eight. So, okay, so this might be slightly controversial because I realize that some of the names that are going to come before, you know, my number eight people might not necessarily agree with. Um, but coming in at eight for me um, is Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott. Um, mm -hmm. I think she's just an incredible final girl I think she's an incredible protagonist I haven't seen the newest scream tragically um our you know our theaters aren't open here right now unfortunately yeah. so <laughs> it's been killer <laughs> yeah um but I I've heard good things I'm hoping you know I'm hoping she holds up in the newest one um but no she's just she's phenomenal like she's in all of the movies and in all you know in all the ones I've seen anyways uh, she's just been so strong-willed. She doesn't back down. You know, she calls each killer out on, you know, their bullshit, really. Um, she's not, I think unlike some movies, right, where, you know, you hear the villain in the basement and the lights aren't working and they go and check it out, you know, by themselves. She's a lot more cautious. She still isn't backing down from these challenges and she's certainly meeting her aggressors head on, but I think she does it really intelligently. Um, you know, you also get to see, I find most clearly with her character compared to some of the other final girls, we get to explore the trauma she's been through, right? Um, 
I think it's in, I want to say it's the third one, but it could be the fourth one where essentially we find out she, she takes phone calls and she deals with women who have been in trauma. I think in, that's the third one actually. Yeah. And then I think she writes a book in the fourth also about her experiences and talks about trauma and moving, you know, past this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's the plot of the fourth one. That's why she returns. Yeah. Because that's yeah. Her, it's on her book tour. Yeah. I think that's how it goes. Perfect. Yeah. Cause I was, I was like, I know one of them has the book. I thought that was four. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure three is where we talk about her, you know, and, and, you know, working on this phone line. Um, but even like, even in the second one, you know, she, has lived through the horror of, you know, this first scream and the ador- you know, or, ordeal she's been through. And in the second one, she has call display. <laughs> she's like, you know, somebody prank calls her at the beginning, you know, following the release of Stab, the movie, right? And, you know, she answers the call. She can trace it. She's like, you know, it's a federal crime to prank call. And she's, you know, she's very on the ball with this stuff. Um, but I just think it's great to finally have a final girl who's not only facing these villains head on, but is, you know, canonically you know in the universe dealing with her trauma she's not just you know she didn't just survive it and she's fine and she can move on with her life she's dealt with it and it's very good you know very much going to be something she deals with forever and she's strong enough to face that challenge head on and continue dealing with it um and take that experience and transform it into something positive and useful for other women who are going through maybe not the same thing she's gone through um, but trauma all the same. So she definitely makes my list. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, again, uh, this is another one on my list, actually. <laughs> there we so, go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, yeah the, Sydney's on my list as well. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more when I get there. Um, <laughs> so uh, for me, uh, my number eight, I... Again, like I said, I kind of went a little unconventional with this one. So um, this one is actually um, an actress more than an actual role. Mm-hmm. But I went with um, a European actress by the name of Edwidge Fennec. Oh, yeah, I haven't heard of her. Okay, um, well, she is basically considered the queen of the giallo. Okay. Um, so she's basically, you know, if you find a giallo movie with her in it, it's, you know, it's considered like one of the top tier stuff Um, so uh, for those that don't know giallos would be um, spiritual ancestors to slasher films Um, the same setup uh, killers running around killing people and then there's a mystery about who's doing it oh fun yeah um, so they're, they're like the precursors to slashers they're like the next they're like the step before slashers so if you think of slashers as like you know 74 75 with like black christmas texas chainsaw stuff like that yeah giallos would be you know late 60s early 70s so they're like just before they're kind of like right on the borderline a lot of people tend to get the two um they they, can't, they overlap just because of you know like the time frame and stuff but um that's essentially it, it's you know, as close as I can get, you know, just, you know, briefly going through it. I mean, I can do a whole spiel on GLOs, but um, for Edwidge, um, the thing for me is that, uh, one, I think she's the best actress in the genre. Um, she, um, the, there's several films, uh, especially one called um, All the Colors of the Dark, which I, I really recommend that movie. I love it. Um, she plays a mother who lost her child in a car accident and she's trying to recuperate from the trauma. You know, her husband's trying to get her to, you know, 
you know, he's doing what he can to support it, but he's also caught between, you know, okay, it's long enough, you know, let's try to move on and live our lives. And honey, I can't be here for work. I can't be here. I've got to go to work. So he's kind of like caught between those two things and, you know, it's not helping her any much. So she ends up turning to a neighbor who lives nearby that introduces her to a satanic cult. And <laughs> As all good neighbors do. <laughs> yeah. So the neighbor introduces her to a, into a satanic cult and well, let's just say things go crazy from there. Um, there's say, you know, pagan rituals, there's all kinds of, um, you know, ceremonies and rituals and stuff like that. But then there's also this strange killer running around, knocking off people in her life. So yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, it's a really fun movie. I, I really recommend it. And she does a fantastic job in that role. I mean, the thing is, you know, you have to remember this is in Italy, this is an Italian film, so she's dubbed. So you have to, you know, you can't just go off of the voice. You have to go off the performance. Yeah. And yeah, it's fantastic. She, you know, she runs, you know, the gamut from, you know, being sensitive and crying to, you know, being hysterical and like be supportive. Like, I need your help. You, you know, why are you leaving me? And you know, she's vulnerable. She's, you know, stalked by this strange killer. She's got, you know, whether or not this friend is actually trying to help her or not, you know, whether, why did she bring me to this cult? And, you know, she's not trying to kill me. And am I going to be the next sacrifice and stuff like that? It's a really, really fun role. Um, she had a couple of others. I, I, I don't know where the majority of these would be easy to find. I think you'd probably have to just pick up like Blu-rays or versions like that. But um, if you can find films, um, other films of hers would be um, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, which is which is another really fun movie. That's another big one that she's kind of she has like a different role in that one where it, you're kind of unsure whether or not she's on the killer side or not. Oh, I love that ambiguity so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she's also in uh, a film called, uh, it, it goes by several different titles and I don't want to butcher it. I think it's Those Strange Drops of Blood on Jennifer's Dress. Okay. Yeah, there's like three or four different titles. It depends on um, which version you see because that one, there's like several different cuts to it. So it kind of has like alternate titles. Okay, okay. Um, oh, okay. Um, another one would be uh, The Case of the Bloody Iris. So um, if you can find it, I think those are the, um, another one. And then um, the big one is Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. That's, oh, I love that title. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually one title. That's just the title of one movie. Um, yeah, I'm going to yeah, have some like hunting to do, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, she, she did a couple of others. Um, those are like the easy ones that you can find. Or I mean, easy, and I'm you know saying you have to go out and hunt for yeah. Stuff. But yeah, those are like her easy big... comparatively. <laughs> yeah, essentially. But yeah, I'm a big fan of her work. Um, like I said, she's a fantastic actress. She she's in a lot of these, and they're like the top tier stuff. So yeah, I um, I went with an actress for mine. So um, that was my number eight. My number seven is Sydney. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. <laughs> the um, there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number seven is Sydney, and a lot of um, what you were saying about the fact that it, you know, her character is not just a one film. It's not just a one film role. You know, there's actually 
there's actually evolution what what we what she does you know you yeah. go you know you see her you know as the you know you see the teen Sydney, you see the early 20s Sydney, you see the 30s Sydney in, you know, part four. And then, you you know, now in the new one, I'm not going to yeah. spoil anything <laughs> here, but, you know, there's like a 40s Sydney. And, you know, there's an evolution. There's like a gradual change that, you know, because, it, you know, all these other films are, you know, one and done. You don't really get much of a chance to, you know, actually see evolution. So I, I think that's a pretty, you know, unique facet that I, not a lot of others have the opportunity to do. And yeah. she pulls it off marvelously, you know, you know, even, you know, in, you know, the 30s version of Sydney, you know, she still goes toe to toe with the teens. And I mean, you know, yeah, it's, you know, probably because they're teens and, you know, she's an adult, but we'll, you know, let that slide. But uh, <laughs> hey, people's it, knees start hurting when you're 30. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the teens have dexterity on her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, I, I, I think the, you know, the fact that there's an evolution and you can gradually see how, you know, it's affected her, uh, you know, going from the person that hasn't had, you know, the chance to leave her house in two years to a person that's, you know, finally enough at ease to go on a nationwide book tour and, you know, what she does in the fifth one, I'm not going to, you know, again, keeping the spoiler but (laughs) like blocking my ears la 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 (laughs) yeah um like i said you know evolution i think is a big thing with this one and uh, that's one of the main reasons why she stands out not you know and then you know you have good films on top of it so yeah and it's great to see like a character that actually has character growth and development through those main stages of her life like um i could talk about sydney prescott all day (laughs) yeah um i I'm a big fan of hers. Um, A lot of what she does is really, you know, I I, I definitely can see a lot of the appeal with her. So, yeah, um, I I had to put her on my list for that reason. Totally fair. All right. So I think that moves us to uh, your number seven. It does. Yeah. So we kind of we sort of swapped. You had an actress last time and I had Sydney Prescott. And this time you have Sydney Prescott and I have an actress. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. So I so this is one of the ones that I think is going to be like, you know, quote unquote, more controversial in terms of like a pick for my list. Um, but I actually have Shelley Duvall's Wendy Torrance, um, mm-hmm. which I think everyone I, I feel or no, I don't think I feel like a lot of people tend to hate her pretty profusely in The Shining. Um, you know, they even Stephen King, like didn't like her in The Shining. I think his quote was like, she's just there to scream and be stupid, I I think is exactly how he phrased it about her um, when the BBC interviewed him. So like, there's been a lot of hatred for this woman, for this, or or this woman's depiction of this character. Um, The reason I chose Shelley Duvall specifically as Wendy in terms of my number seven is because that woman went through absolute abuse and just like, torment during the filming of this like I think everyone's aware of like 127 times that she had to do like I think it was her swinging the bat at Nicholson um when he was on the yeah yeah, yeah I think it's when yeah I think it's yeah I think it's the scene where he's uh taunting her up the stairs out of yeah. uh out of the out of that um, room where he's probably, yeah. uh, I <laughs> think give me the bat <laughs> yeah I think it's that sequence there yeah it was like 127 times that he made her do this she like had all kinds of like issues like sore hands her voice was hoarse um 
she ended up being like really severely dehydrated during the filming. Um, she was sincerely crying and panicked a lot of the time because of how she was being treated on set. Um, and then when people said about her after the filming of this, uh, it got so bad too on set that like allegedly, you know, according to people who you know, looked into this, she started losing her hair during the filming of this, you know, movie. Um, and I don't want to say it necessarily derailed her career, but it certainly dampened her enthusiasm from, you know, continuing filming so soon after, right? Um, and she went through a lot. And the fact that she still, you know, persevered and pushed through and was just trying to keep her shit together during the filming of this movie, um, I feel like that really mirrors Wendy's journey too. Like, she's just trying to keep things together. She's surrounded by these, like, aggressive, well, in this case, an aggressive man, her husband. She's just trying to keep her son safe. She's just trying to do the best she can with what she's been given. And she hasn't been given a lot, you know? Um, and I think the fact that she pushes through and perseveres and, and essentially overcomes the situation by the end of the film, both Wendy and, you know, Shelley Duvall, I think is really impressive. Um, I think it also says a lot about the way women you know, not necessarily just, you know, way back when they were filming The Shining, but like even now, the way a lot of actresses are treated in filming, the way a lot of, you know, women are taken advantage of for the sake of art, you know, art and, and artistic direction. Uh, and the fact that she was able to kind of weather the storm and get through to the other side, uh, I think is a testament to her and her strength as a person, as an actress, you know, as just a human being. Um, and it, it always kind of upsets me that people still kind of, you know, talk smack about Shelley Duvall as Wendy, but she tried, I think, her best given the situation. Um, she also had, like, again, allegedly, according to reports and people who knew her and had seen, you know, previous versions of the script, she allegedly had quite a bit of dialogue and character growth in the movie version. And, like, her lines just kept being cut. So, you know, she didn't start out as this woman who was, you know, as King said, you know, supposed to be stupid and cry, but that's certainly how the director turned her into. Um, and that's kind of how she was framed. And I think just given the odds that were stacked against her, she more than did her job phenomenally well. So, yeah, she she's my seven on this. Mm, nice. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's it's hard for me to rank it just because um, one, I I'm not a huge fan of The Shining. Yeah. Uh, I, I I mean I'm not like a huge fan of the film in general, so it's not like I'm really like a, attached to her. But even when I was like, I mean, even before I really knew like what was really going on, like back in the early days when I first stick, just, I just watched it just because it was a, a film to watch. Like I didn't know anything about it it was really kind of hard to like attach to her just because you know she was somebody that just seemed like window dressing like she didn't do much so yeah, yeah um it, for me it's hard to kind of really rank her but uh i i don't have any issues with the choice i mean you know it, she's fine for what she is it's just i yeah you know, like i said i have my own um own personal issues with the film yeah i'm not like a diehard fan of the shining i know there are some people out there who would like throw themselves in front of a bus before disavowing that movie. Um, <laughs> I'm certainly not one of them. I don't have any like strong feelings about the film. I don't dislike it. Yeah. But it's definitely not like in my top 20 favorite like horror films of all time. Yes, that's kind of the way I am, yeah. Um Yeah. I, yeah, I I can probably without even thinking about it name like 9 or 10 I mean I can even name like 9 or 10 K Stephen King adaptations that I like more in The Shining, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not the biggest fan of the movie, but I think 
I think for some reason, just hearing everything that Shelley Duvall had gone through made me a big yeah, fan that, of her in that movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that that does help. And it's one of, I mean, I have kind of lightened my stance on it a lot just because I, I've heard a lot of what went on filming it, but it, yeah. it's still one of those where it's kind of like, a, it's hard for me to like really add much more to the film than where I'd stand on it. So yeah, um, great choice. So uh, we'll move on to uh, number five, right? Six, I think. Oh, six. My bad. Sorry. Six. It's all good. Um, <laughs> so my my six is kind of a tie, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to do that or if I'm like breaking rules on this one. Um, but I'm a huge fan of uh, Jules and Dana from The Cabin in the Woods. Um, mm. Dana, I think, is played by Kristen Connolly and Jules is Anna Hutchinson. Um, I, I couldn't decide which one I liked more, so I'm kind of grouping them together on this one i hope that's okay <laughs> that's fine i have no worries yeah all right <laughs> <Phew>. <laughs> I, I mean if i had to pick maybe jules but she's not really a final girl like she does you know she ends up dying in the movie um but i just i thought the two of them were so i i kind of well no i guess i'll in horror there's a lot of talk right about not even just in horror, just in general, there's a lot of, you know, horror-virgin dichotomy, right, in, in literature, in media. Um, in this movie, they're literally phrased, right, they're literally poised as, you know, the quote-unquote virgin and the quote-unquote whore, um, with Jules being, you know, the horror and Dana the virgin, even though um, Dana just had an affair with her teacher and, and Jules is in a, you know, long-term relationship with her boyfriend, right? Um I think there's something to be said about the way society sees women. Um, and, and I just kind of liked how this film subverted those expectations, played with those characters. I mean, Jules is a really intelligent woman. You know, it, it takes her essentially being chemically treated to, you know, to be a quote unquote dumb blonde to essentially disarm her in this movie. I think she's in pre-med, if memory serves me right. So she's, you know, she's really intelligent. She's there for her friends. Um, you know, she provides comfort to her friend Dana after, you know, the, the affair she's having with her teacher goes south and he breaks up with her. Um, so, yeah, I just I think she's a phenomenal character just for all for as long as she's in the movie. <laughs> uh, Dana, on the other hand, I think she's great in the sense that she has the strength, kind of like all the final goals, right, to, to push through and make it to the end. Um, but in this one, she essentially decides that the world is over and, and she, you know, helps Marty kind of bring it to a stop. Um, she's not, you know, at first she is willing to kill her friend to survive. Um, and then she sort of thinks twice about that. <laughs> and she's okay with the fact that, you know, Marty lives and everyone sees their their very abrupt and sudden ending. Um, but no, but I, I was especially, you know, fond of that kind of, again, horror virgin dichotomy that they set up and explore. Um, especially since that's something that I think is really looked at in horror. I mean, it's the foundation of the final girl, right? Like she's usually the virgin. She's usually more chaste. It's all of her, you know, quote unquote, promiscuous friends who get the ax first. Um, so yeah, that was, yeah, that, that's my number six. That's my tie. Nice. Um, I probably include them if I was a little more familiar with Cabin in the Woods. Um, I've maybe seen it once or twice. So, so good. So good. <laughs> I, 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 I really like it. It's just, I, I, I always have a hard time, like, for some reason, I never really feel the need to go back for, to it for some reason. So I've only seen it a couple of times. So maybe if I had a little bit more attachment to it, maybe I'd see that. But 
that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, um, I'm on number five. Um, I'm actually going to do a little spoiler alert here. Both of these are actresses. Um, my five and my four, they're both actresses. For my five, I went with uh, my favorite modern actress. Um, I'm a huge fan of her. Um, I love a lot of what she does. I went with Tiffany Shepis. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, a lot of her films are more on the indie side. So um, a lot of her stuff is basically, uh, you know, she's like a lot of in the like underground kind of like indie stuff but i'm a huge fan of what she does uh she's usually the spunky sassy one that throws down just as hard as the men you know she usually lasts quite a ways into the film she usually handles you know she usually handles it quite quite valiantly she you know puts up a fight and that that really it really means a lot when a lot of the films that she was in are basically just yeah, there are excuses to get her, you know, in various states of, you know, I'll just say it, she's naked a lot. But, you know, the fact is that even when she is, she still puts up a fight and she still throws down a lot with the men and she still takes it to them. And yeah. to me, I, I really appreciate that. Not just, you know, being like the shrieking violet, just standing in the corner, covering herself as the killer kills her. But yeah. you know, even if she, you know, even if she doesn't have a shirt on or anything, you know, she still like takes it to them like that. You know, she's still willing to try to save herself in any way she can. And, you know, I mean, it's appreciated. It's a nice change of pace. And, you know, the fact that she's committed to the genre, she is, you know, she's probably got well over 100 titles. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, you know, you, they're like on the indie side, so she's not as mainstream. You know, she's not going to have like, you know, the starring role in a Hollywood film, but the fact that she still appears pretty frequently, um, the longevity, you know, she appeared in like the early 2000s in a couple of films and she's still working to this day. So that's pretty yeah. good. That's a legacy yeah. right there. <laughs> well, that's, like I said, that's one of the main reasons for, um, for why I picked her. Um, my other actress, like I said, I kind of went a little off the beaten wall with this. Um so uh, for my number four, I went with... I think we're uh, still on number five, though, aren't we? No, that was five. Uh, that was... Tiffany oh, I think, was you skipped, I think you skipped your six, then. No, my six was Sid, because I went Faye Ray, Ingrid Pitt, Edwidge, and then Sid. So weird. Okay. So, yeah, um, I'm on number four. Uh, my number four is Barbara Steele. Oh, cool. Okay. So, yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of her work. Um, she's basically in a couple of films from the mid-60s. Um, again, a lot of Italian work. Um, but my favorite role of hers is easily Black Sunday. Um, she plays a dual role in that film. She plays the virginal princess, and she plays the angry witch. And... Um, real quickly, the plot of that one is, you know, a witch is sentenced to death hundreds of years ago. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, she's reincarnated in the present day and begins stalking the family of the people that killed her using the daughter of one of them, who's a spitting image, which it should be because it's played by Barbara Steele, um, using <laughs> her as a vessel to carry out her destruction. And... So this is a, you know, it's the 60s, you know, gothic horror kind of stuff, you know, a lot of people crawling around in tombs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the fact that, you know, she played both roles, she played, you know, the good girl and she played the, the evil witch. 
Yeah. And she did that very in several other films as well. Um, she played dual roles in a film called The Ghost. She played dual roles in a film called Nightmare Castle. And I believe she also did one in a film called... Uh, my memory is blanking on me. Um, I think it was called Terror Creatures from the Grave or something like that. I, I'm not sure, but she had like a, she had like a small window of films in like the early '60s where she was like the gothic horror go-to, you know, dual role kind of a person. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah, she played uh, she played a couple of others. Uh, she also uh, was along. She also played alongside uh, Vincent Price in uh, one of the Corman films. Okay. Uh, yeah, so a lot of the films that he did with uh, Roger Corman in the early '60s. Um, those Poe adaptations, um, Pit in the Pendulum, that was the one. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, she has a role in that one. So, um, great, you know, body of work. Uh, one of the, you know, first ones that I remember, I, I remember getting into the genre because of her. So, I had to uh, make my list. So, uh, my number four. That is very Fair valid. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so my number four um, is Rosemary Woodhouse from Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> uh, I absolutely, so I think it's played by Mia Farrow, if memory serves me right. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said about her character. Again, it's, so I, it's interesting too, because I find a lot of, we look at a lot of final girls, a lot of women in horror as, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier with Thomason, but as these like really active characters. Um and then there are some that are like more passive, like Thomason, right? Um, and I find, personally speaking, I find Rosemary from Rosemary's very a, a really interesting um, combination of like being a really active character, but also passive, right? Like this, you know, again, trigger warning for anyone who's sensitive to it, but essentially she's sexually assaulted, right? She thinks she's having sex with her husband and it turns out to be, you know, the devil, Satan himself. Uh, and then she gets pregnant with his child. Um, and the whole thing is a setup by her husband and, and, you know, the people in her apartment building who are part of this cult, uh, essentially. And there's trauma in that, right? There's like something really horrifying, really upsetting about the fact that she's carrying something else's baby, you know, and against her consent at that. So she is kind of, you know, she is a victim to this trauma. Um, for part of it, she is almost like, I don't want to say she's passive because that doesn't feel fair to her. She does you know, try to look into things, but things kind of do just sort of happen to her, right? Yeah. Um, and the more it happens, the more she starts, you know, getting these feelings and trusting her intuition and, and really fighting against um, what's happened to her. Uh, so even though it's, it's not one of those like classic sort of final girl situations, right? Like she she's alive at the end, her, you know, her baby's alive at the end. Um I think there is something to be said about like her challenging the status quo, challenging like what's been or, you know ordained for her. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about the bonds of motherhood because you know she does eventually want a child, not necessarily under these you know circumstances. Um, right. She does want to be a mother, um, and I, I think there's just like a, a lot to dissect when it comes to that. Um, I, I think also too, like like I kind of mentioned earlier, sort of with Thomason, but I think we look at final girls and women in horror 
as necessarily having to run around with chainsaws and fight back. And a lot of them do, and that's fantastic. Um, but I think that a final girl, uh, you know, or, you know, just an iconic, again, I'm saying final girl, but, you know, any version of women right. horror, right? Um, I think there's something to be said about handling it more subtly um, of, you know, not necessarily just surviving the killer, but surviving the trauma that comes along with it. You know, what her character goes through is horrifying. You know, just when she thinks she's out, just when she, you know, she thinks she's gotten help from her doctor, he sends her back to her family, like her husband and, and you know, these villains at that apartment complex. You know, she's medically gaslit. She's forced to be with people that she wants nothing to do with. You know, her body becomes not her own, right? Um, and I think there's a lot to sort of be interpreted from that. Um, and I like the fact that we're looking at this iconic woman in horror who her trauma that she overcomes is, you know, pregnancy and motherhood. And, you know, of course, you know, sexual assault as well. That's a definite big one. Um, but she does get through all of this. She she does make it out the other side. Now, what that means for her character in the long run, we don't know, <laughs> right? Because it kind of ends with her seeing her kid for the first time after, I believe she thinks it's he's died. He, you know, he didn't survive birth. Um, but she does, you know, come face to face with her son and is concerned about his eyes. And it kind of leaves us in this cliffhanger of, you know, what is, you know, how, how is she going to really deal with all of this? Um, you know, she obviously wants to be a mother. She's happy to be there for him. You know, she does kind of have this moment of like bonding with her kid, uh, even though I think she was originally going to kill it. <laughs> right? She has like the knife and everything. Yeah. Um, but I just like this idea of, you know, her big final girl moment is just surviving the trauma and moving forward in her life. You know, big question mark as to what that means, however. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I have her on my honorable mentions. Um, I, I, I think it's a great um, turn about it just because, you know, it's a perversion of one of the, you know, the most sacred things that, you know, a woman can go through. You know, she's she's a mother. She's literally giving birth and she's carrying on the human race. But is she really doing it with who she thinks she's doing it with? Like, that's the whole thing. And the paranoia that develops, you know, the way that, you know, like you say, that she's being gaslit the way that, you know, she's trying to, you know, fight back against what's being thrust upon her through every means possible, except, you know, at knife point, like they're literally doing everything they can to, you know, make sure that it happens. And I mean, you know, they're, you know, they're literally killing to make sure it happens. The fact that she's, you know, unsure of herself trying to survive through a situation like that. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a big thing. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one as well. Um, uh did you mention number five uh so yeah that's what i was wondering before i think like we skipped through one of them <laughs> yeah because i um, think you, yeah i think you missed your number five yeah, it's very possible yeah um so my number five was uh adelaide wilson and red um from us uh i absolutely love that movie <laughs> there's so much to be said yeah. about it jordan peele is just fantastic right um yeah. But yeah, but uh, Lupita Nyong'o's Adelaide and Red, I thought, again, it, it's the same actress, two characters, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, but I find there's something really interesting about, you know, what it is to be us and our place in the world and discovering that. And both of them kind of, they kind of tie in in a way to um, to Rosemary in the sense that it is kind of 
family based. It's at least in her case, in Adelaide and Red, they're both protecting their families in very different ways, right? Um, you know, Adelaide has had her family by choice. <laughs> she wants to be where she is. She's chosen this life for herself. She's made these circumstances for herself, uh, going so far as to take, you know, the other Adelaide's place, right? Because, you know, Adelaide isn't really Adelaide, we find out, you know. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> she, she's the original Red. Um, so I think there's something to be said about, you know, that compared to, you know, Red, where she is, in this case, a victim of circumstance. She's at the wrong place at the wrong time. And now she has this life that she didn't necessarily want with children that she didn't necessarily elect to have um, and a husband that she didn't really pick <laughs> and this life that isn't her own, um, but that once was. And it's just, I thought there's such an interesting um, juxtaposition between the two characters. And Lupita Nyong'o is just, Fen like just a phenomenal actress i feel like you can't go wrong with her if you have her in any movie <laughs> so yeah. i i just yeah those are my my two for yeah I, yeah that's a fantastic choice um like i said if this is kind of like one of those where i'm kind of like with uh, cabin in the woods where if i was a little bit more familiar with the film because i've only seen it maybe once so yeah. but yeah um i i absolutely agree i love what she did in that uh she's fantastic in what she does yeah, like you said, the fact that, you know, there's a switch where we figure out, you know, who are we really following? And, you know, like you said, how that plays into the life choices that they've made. I think it's a really intriguing way that they do it. And I love the way that it plays out. I love how once we realize what's really going on and how all of the, you know, the various conflicts are coming together. Um I I really wish I had been a little bit more familiar with it, but yeah, I I would I can definitely easily see this as making my list if I was a little bit more familiar with it. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially if you know we're talking like how good they are as it you know how good the performance is because if it is, I would easily say that this that would have easily made my top five even just based on yeah. <laughs> she's just so like, good. <laughs> exactly, if we're just basing it based on like how good of a performance it is, yeah, this is an easy top five for me so yeah <laughs> yeah, she, yeah she's like a master class in acting that woman like just phenomenal yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah uh it, if i i really wish i'd see I'd, i've seen this one a little bit more um yeah fantastic choice uh okay so uh that moves us to uh my number four and uh my number four is grace from ready or not oh yeah there it is yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's my number four. Uh, like I said, a lot of what goes on in here is just, it, it's such a fun deconstruction of like the normal final girl, you know, using everything, using her surroundings to put up a fight, using her, you know, trying to survive against more than one. Ah, that movie is just amazing. I I absolutely love that movie. It was, it was easily one of my favorites of that year, so yeah it's, um, it's so good you can you can't go wrong with that movie <laughs> yeah yeah uh, that movie is just so much fun i i absolutely love it so good so um that moves to my number three and i went with jenny from friday part two. Oh, good okay yeah um i i i love this this is probably i would say my favorite of the franchise so i i'm a huge friday fan in general um but the one thing I love about this one, and this is the first one that 
even though a lot of the other final girls that went up against Jason did this as well, but she was the first one that I saw that actually was smart about how she approached Jason. First, the, one of the things is that during the chase, she's actually intelligent enough to trick him several times. She ducks behind rocks. She ducks behind trees. She ducks behind, you know, various bushes and, you know, she, she hides and, you know, Jason passes by or, you know, doesn't even notice and he has to double back and try to find her. It's a tactic a lot of them have done since, but the way that she does it here is it's really effective. And I like the way that she does it, especially when you consider that she's still drunk at the time because she was out partying because she's out partying. So, you know, yeah, she's drunk for a lot of it. But for me, the whole thing in is the finale, the final confrontation where the fact that she has within, I would say, maybe 20 seconds, the wherewithal to look at the shack, look at everything that is going on around her, the severed head, the body parts, the you know, the candles, everything that's going on, the wherewithal to look at that scene, grab the sweater, put it on and imitate his mother. Yeah, that is next level kind of psychology I wouldn't have had any idea what to do in the situation like that I would have looked at that scene and I would have probably pissed myself oh yeah I'd be very dead (laughs) yeah I I would have just looked at that and I would have just been oh god I'm never getting out of I'm you know I would have looked at that and I would have just given up and said yeah I I, I'm I'm a part of this force for the rest of my life (laughs) yeah you win (laughs) yeah I'll tap out at this point (laughs) yeah like that that, yeah like that's just tap out like yeah I'm not surviving the fact that yeah and the fact that she doesn't she thinks about the sweater she looks at it puts it on and then imitates the mother and gets away with it like she actually gets him down on his knees and is about ready to deliver the final blow like the fact that she actually got away with it you know for the most part i mean yeah she still has to fight him off a little at the end but the fact that she actually put up not just a fair fight but actually got the better of him and had to think of that on her feet in the moment while drunk uh, yeah, it, it, she's one of my all-time favorites, and yeah, I, I love what she did, and I, I'm a huge fan, so uh, she's always been, I would say, my favorite. Um, I, I, I do give it a little, like I said, I do knock it a little just because a lot of what they did later on, she is repeated, so it's not like it's a unique thing she does, but uh, she's still one of my favorites, and it's it's one of the big reasons why I'm such a huge fan of that one, so totally fair no it's definitely a good one yeah cool so uh, i think that moves to your number three it does yeah so i chose so okay (laughs) i feel bad that it's not like second or first but like please bear with me when i say like i love this character and this actress just so much (laughs) so like it pains me to not have her in my top spot um, but my third would have to be Laurie Strode. Um, mm. Just, I love her so much. <laughs> J.B. Lee Curtis is incredible. She's just a phenomenal actress. Again, um, I think she's like a great person <laughs> from everything I've ever seen about her. Um, and her depiction of Laurie Strode, I think, is just so great. I feel like she's one of the most iconic final girls. You know, I I, I want to say one of the original Scream Queens, if not the original Scream, you know, Scream Queen. Um, 
she's just she's just great and I feel like one of the things I like about her is she just you know she does go toe-to-toe with Michael several times across a franchise right um it's not like again it's not like a one and done like she really does have these moments um where she does kind of go up against him um I also like though that you know she is wrestling again kind of like you know uh oh my goodness uh like Sydney Prescott she's still dealing with this trauma right there's always going to be this trauma that she's encountered that she's lived through um I have very mixed feelings about the newer Halloween movies to have come out yeah um they're they're fine <laughs> they're it's okay you can, it's okay um you can say it I'm not a fan of those either yeah, I, I'm not the biggest. I mean, like they were fun. Like they're fun to watch in like a mindless way. Yeah. Um, they're certainly not as good as the original, right? Um, yeah. I don't think anything will really ever compare to it. But I did like seeing her character older, right? I think she's in her like early 60s. I want to say. It, yeah, um, she would. She would probably have to be at least uh, somewhere around Jamie's actual age, like late fifties, early sixties. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like they they definitely. I don't want to say they aged her up, but they didn't do her any favors by giving her like the long gray hair. You know, I feel. Like oh, I think that of... was. I think I don't know if that was actually given to her. I think that was just she showed up as. I I I don't know. I wasn't the hairdresser on set, so. That, <laughs> no, but so, it was still. But like, she, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure she had it. I just, I feel like they, I don't know. I feel like they did nothing to make her look younger. So like, I thought she was in her early 60s. She could be her late 50s, but yeah. like, it was nice to see her at that point in her life, and how she never, like, I, I mean, I was sad to see that she never moved on, but I thought it was interesting to see how she was just like ready for him. Like, you see a lot of final girls who are like wow, this camp has been haunted by, you know, the ghost of a kid who died. I'm sure they won't come and kill us tonight, you know. Whereas she's like, no, he's still alive and he's coming back for me because it's Halloween and I've learned. <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm ready for this. And she's like prepared and she tries to drill it into her daughter and granddaughter's heads. Like they have to be ready. They have to be prepared for this because it's just going to happen one day. I think they might have gone a little bit over the top with it for her in the newer installments. Um Again, I'm not the biggest fan of the newer movies, but I did like getting to see that evolution. Um, and I'm just, again, a huge fan of her in the original uh, Halloween. So Laurie Strode is definitely in my my top three. Yeah, she, uh, I mean, I got two choices left and she's one of them, so. <laughs> there we go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll save my piece uh, for mine, so. Sure. All right, um, number two. two. Yeah, number two. Is it me or you? Sorry. <laughs> Your, yeah, because we're doing two going back. Oh, and yeah. Forth. <laughs> um, so my second one is uh, Danny Arder. Um, so Florence Pugh from 2019's Midsummer. Um, I I love this movie. <laughs> like, I everything about this movie is phenomenal to me. Um, there's so much to be said in terms of, like, cult mentality. Um, there's just a lot to be said about again trauma and kind of overcoming it and everything um but i find danny especially interesting as an examination of empathy and community and family um i know when the movie came out there were some people who had a bit of an issue with the fact that she goes from this like traumatic experience with her family right you know the uh, the suicide of her sister and the death of her parents at like the same time you know horrifying to then this like cult movie about you know I think it's Sweden, I want to say, or, or Switzerland, you know, just 
this cult movie, right? Yeah. But I think there's a lot to be said about kind of overcoming what she's been through and what it means to be a family. I think there's a lot to be said um, and just about the value we put in other people, the respect we want from other people. I mean, she has this this terrible boyfriend the whole time. Like, he's just the absolute worst person. Uh, his name is Christian. I think he's played by Jack Rayner. Um, and he's just a terrible, shitty boyfriend. He forgets her birthday. He, you know, he shit talks her to his friends. Um, he gaslights her when she's panicking. Like, he's just horrible. And I think there's something really interesting in how the way we see ourselves is kind of, I don't want to say it's influenced by the way others treat us, but in this case, it can be, right? For some of us, the way others, you know, the way others treat us is the way we kind of feel like we deserve to be treated, right? I feel like a, a lot of people can kind of say that. And it's interesting to see Danny's character go from having this, like, really abusive treatment from her partner, um, this really tenuous, stressful relationship with her sister, and then the sudden loss of her family, to the sudden discovery of a community where people essentially pass away on their own terms, where they can empathize with each other, where they think about each other, this sense of community that's there. Um, and she goes from someone who is horrified to witness the suicide of two elder, you know, two elder citizens of this community to like actively sending her boyfriend <laughs> to be burned alive. <laughs> I feel like there is a real character shift that happens. Um, I think it's a really phenomenal just masterclass exploration on belonging and family um, and what it means to find our place in the world, amongst other things. Again, there's, this movie does a lot of really interesting things. Um, and I'm not like, you know, saying that Danny's necessarily like a girl boss, right? But there's a lot that her character goes through. And I think there's a lot of things that her character explores. Um, and yeah, there, there's, yeah, just... Danny Arder is definitely a, an interesting character to me, and I, I think she should be in, you know, mm. the top ten. <laughs> yeah, um, I have an interesting history with Midsommar. Um, I inadvertently saw the director's cut, not knowing it was. I, I, I purchased the film and thinking it was just the regular version. So I, I saw the director's cut, and I was just, I absolutely hated it. Oh, so, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one, I'm not a huge uh, three-hour film person. I'm uh, I, I I really really I I kind of like tap out at two and a half hours, so <laughs> yeah. Um, I I I really want to go back and revisit it just because I wanted to see like the differences. I just I haven't had the time to. Um, a lot of it's because I wasn't a huge fan of it, so I haven't really had the time. But it's really it, one of those movies that you love or you hate. I have never heard someone come out and be like. Yeah, it was just okay. <laughs> like it's yeah, such I, a polarizing movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I do agree. I like where he takes her. I like the journey. I I think she does a fantastic job. She you know it it comes off really well. It's just I really wish that well, I was a bigger fan of the movie, but um, the yeah, I I have an interesting history with Midsummer, so um, we'll just leave it at that. But yeah. Yeah, uh, great choice. But um, I mean, like I said, just my own personal thing. Uh, of course. Yeah. Um, so for my final two choices, uh, my number two is Laurie. Um, nice. This, yeah, this was a hard one just because 
it 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 really depends on which timeline we're going off of and this is <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it, it it's kind of one of the the weirdest things is that um if we're basing this off of uh one and two the 78 and 81 version she's my number one no questions asked um i i love the way that they play her off in those two films the way that you know she carries herself the way that every you know the way that Everything about one and two works for me. It's amazing. They're so good. They're just so right. good. <laughs> one and two. One and two are the gold standards. I I, I absolutely yeah. love them. H two O and Resurrection are kind of odd. I the the weird the weird thing is is that I don't mind H two O, but I really like Resurrection, even though Lori's not the huge factor in there, because you know she gets killed off at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, is that even after that point, I actually still really like Resurrection. It's one of my favorites in the franchise. But even still, I I really, even though she gets killed off at the beginning of Resurrection, I actually enjoy what she did in H two O. I think H two O handled her incredibly well. You know, the, the fact that she had to, you know, she changed her name, she moved out of state, she you know, started a brand new identity, but it was still somewhat haunted by it. And yet, when the time came, she knew, you know, it's still her. She still knows how to snap to and defend herself, and she's ready to spring into action. I, I really like that Laurie, and I really wish that they would have taken that kind of an approach with her. Whereas, what they do with her in the new ones. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the crazy lady who lives out in the woods, who's, you know, armed to the teeth and ready for doomsday. It's an okay take. I'm not necessarily sure I agree with it, but it, it's a take. I'll give it that. Um, <laughs> man, Halloween Kills. Where do we go with that one? Um, <laughs> Nowhere good. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Nowhere um, good. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and unfortunately, that kind of is um, what dropped her for me. Um, yeah, it, I like that. I said, it, yeah, if we're basing this just based off of uh, one and two, I I have no question this is, you know, slam dunk hands down number one. But the fact that, the, you know, especially since, you know, this the 2018 one kills off the set, kills off Halloween 2 and says, no, this is the sequel. And, you know, we're supposed to go from 78 to 18 to, you know, Halloween kills. I, I, I don't necessarily like that kind of scenario. I really wanted, you know, 18 to be more of a follow-up to the two. I wanted, you know, that to be a better one. But, it, yeah, um, based on what they do with her, it kind of falls for me just a little. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's kind of why, you know, I, I put her as uh, number two. Yeah. Um, like, the only reason I was personally okay. So, so here's my, my, my hot take <laughs> on, on her character in, like, not Halloween Kills, but, you know, the 18 Halloween, right? Right. I feel like there's a lot of movies, and like maybe maybe this is a me thing. I feel there's a lot of movies where we have these male protagonists who are like these action heroes, or you know they're combat you know vets who who come home and it's been 20 years since the war, and they still have like polished guns and they're ready to go and they're preparing for the next one. You know, I feel like we have a lot of like really masculine, iconic, just action males, right, who do this. And I've never seen it done with a woman before. Like, even if we're looking at um, Sydney Prescott, right? She's gone from somebody who's like experienced this trauma, who's been just through hell and back. 
And she's just, she's using her trauma to help others. She's overcome it. I like the fact that Lori took like, or, or they took Lori's character into the opposite, where they were like, she's never going to overcome this like a normal person. Like she's now a recluse who lives in the middle of nowhere with a trap house, <laughs> you know, right. ready to drop yeah. you into a pit of spikes. It felt a bit excessive. And like, I have to admit, like, again, I didn't love the newest two. They're certainly not on my favorites list. But I did like the fact that they decided to kind of stray from the expected, like, oh, trauma survivor who who's made it. I thought it was interesting to show us someone who, like, again, she she did have a life, right? She has a daughter. She has a granddaughter. So she did, in some ways, overcome that. She did sort of move forward. Like, she did have a life to some extent. Right, but she yeah. never got past it. So that that's my little hot take on it. But, like, I, yeah. again, I... The first two were the best. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You can't I mean, like, come back from that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, if this is one and two, it's hands down. But, yeah, based on everything that they've done to her since, it's it kind of sours me just a, just a little. Uh, just enough for me to move uh, my number one choice, uh, Barbara Crampton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I absolutely just, I, I love her. Um, she's fantastic. Um, even if we were just including like the, I, I would have put her on the list if we were just basing it off of her early career, um, reanimator and castle freak and, um, a couple of the other stuff that she did earlier on. But when she came back and she did your next, and she's done a lot of the other stuff recently, like, um, uh, she was in, uh, we are, we are not, not alone. I think was the title of it. Uh, we are still here. Yeah, the ghost movie from like 2015, 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah, that one there. Um, starting with that one, she's just done fantastic stuff. Um, especially I would say Jacob's wife, and that's the big thing that kind of put me on. That kind of wowed me enough to put her on the number one. Uh, I absolutely love that movie. I love what they do with it. I love that the way that they portray her character in that. You know, the fact that she you know, initially starts as, you know, the, the housewife that's just there to, you know, make sure the husband has everything he needs and, you know, puts him first. And, you know, she kind of just takes a backseat. But over the course of the film, the fact that, you know, the vampirism takes takes hold and it allows her to become more, you know, independent and she stands up and fights back. And, you know, she legitimately has a saying that, you know, she she puts the marriage on the line and say, are you with me or are you not? And you don't see that she would say that at the beginning of the movie. Like, that's not the type of outburst that she would have if she wouldn't be the vampire. And yeah, it, it took the, you know, it took turning her into a monster to give her humanity. And that's a fantastic take that I, I really enjoy. And she's just absolutely amazing. I, I, I can't think of a bad film she ever did, but uh, because of Jacob's wife, uh, she finally moved to my number one. So that's fair. Yeah. Um. I I'm tying my list out with uh well tying my list out. I'm ending my list on uh Jess Bradford, um from 1974's Black Christmas by Bob Clark. I I love her so much. <laughs> yeah. She I I find so okay so I I have a hard time picking a favorite because I'll, I do love her. Don't get me wrong, and she is my number one. Um, but I like Barb, who I think is uh I want to say it's Margot Kidder. Yeah, that yeah, it's Marco Kidder, yeah. Yeah. 
she's also fantastic. So she, I, I really struggled to pick one of the two, but just kind of makes it to the end. Um, and she deals with some really controversial things in the movie too. Uh, so she, she just skyrocketed to the, the top of my list. To me, she's like the original final girl. She's, you know, I, I wouldn't really say she's a scream queen. She doesn't really yell as much as, you know, Laurie Strode. Yeah. <laughs> but she's definitely, to me, the iconic, like, original final girl. Um, the fact that she not only, so, like, of course she, you know, has to survive this killer as her, you know, sorority sisters are murdered. Um, what I like about her is that in other movies where they don't necessarily realize, you know, their friends are gone or missing, they know from the onset. She's like, something isn't right. My friend didn't leave when she said she was going to leave. She didn't arrive when she said she was going to arrive. Like, something isn't right. She pushes the cops to investigate. She really forces them to, you know, they they kind of, they're very misogynistic, right? They kind of talk down to her. Um, but she she doesn't back off. She still tries to get them to look for her friend. She takes, you know, the well-being of those in her sorority seriously and is an active participant in trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I think the fact that, like, she stands up to Peter is amazing. So for anybody who hasn't seen the movie, um, she's pregnant. I, I, you know, she she tells her boyfriend like, hey, you know, I'm pregnant. And he essentially, and I'm quoting, he says, I'm quoting the conservatory and we're getting married. He's, he's studying to be a musician. And he just, he presents this as like, this is the wonderful solution. You know, you can stay home with the baby and be a phenomenal, you know, a housewife and mother and, and I'll, I'll earn our keep for us, you know? And she's insistent. She's like, no, I'm getting an abortion, you know, and he he fights her on this and he's really upset and he's trying to dictate her future for her. And she's like very headstrong. And she's like, no, I know it's right for my body. I'm making this choice for me. I'm having an abortion like you don't get to decide what I do. And I think it was great seeing her like not only try to go after her sorority sisters, not only standing up to, you know, to Peter, who's trying to dictate her life. But, you know, the movie's climax, you know, at, at its end, she thinks it's her boyfriend who's been murdering the sorority sisters. And she has no problem, you know, trying to defend herself from him um, and having that big, you know, that, that, that big sort of showdown. Uh, it, it still does end with that note of ambiguity, right, where she's in bed and she's unconscious and the cops kind of leave her upstairs and we sort of see that watchful eye on her. Um so you don't really know at the end of this movie if she'll survive or if the guy that's been in her house this whole time does get her. Um, I like to think she makes it out. I think there is or there was going to be a sequel where she does survive if memory serves me right. Um, but just Jess Radford, 110%. <laughs> it's the hill yeah. I'm willing to die on. She is my favorite. <laughs> Oh, no worries. Um, I wanted her on the list, but uh, she kind of got bumped off just at the last second for um, putting Faye Ray on there just because historical significance. But yeah, yeah. Um, if I didn't have any other slots, uh, she's on there for sure. Um, I'm a huge fan of what she does. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, being like the first, you know, again, she could be like the first final girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. That's a fantastic choice. Um. I, I wanted, yeah, I wanted her on the list, but I 
bumped her off the last second. But um, if any consolation, she would be number 11 if we went that high. So Yeah. <laughs> I have so, so many that I, I desperately wanted to put on this list that I couldn't. Like when I wrote an article, like I mentioned, I wrote like a column for um, Tell Magazine a while ago that was like iconic women in horror. And like I had to keep it to 16 and I struggled. Like I have like 30 on this list. Yeah. <laughs> that I like whittled down to 16 and then I had to whittle it down to 10. <laughs> For tonight, I'm like stressed yeah. out. <laughs> um, well, great. Uh, do you have any honorable mentions? Just like a couple that you were fighting with, um, like the final 15 or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, man, I do. I always have some that I struggle with. Um, I guess if I had to just name three that I had really considered but didn't put on like super quick, um, Carrie White from Carrie. Um, mm -hmm. I was really tempted to put on Mary Mason from American Mary on my list, as well as uh, Bridget Fitzgerald um, from Ginger Snaps. I, I was I was so struggling with those three. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with Carrie. She was on my honorable mentions as well. Um, Again, my other honorable mention, like I said, was uh, Jess from Black Christmas. But uh, the other one that I really wanted, and uh, I, again, kind of an oddball one, but I really wanted Tree from Happy Death Day. Oh, she's so good. And, yeah, she's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, I love what they did with her in the first two. I, I'm really looking forward if they finally get a third one there. I want to see what they do with it. I, I wanted to... If I could just rewrite it just real quickly, I would want it to be where she doesn't, she's not the one that has to keep going back in time. It's somebody yeah. else in the group that does it, but she's there to mentor them. Because yeah, she's I, done it. Nice. I, I would want that to happen because I think that would be a fun little way to tie it up where, you know, he has to convince her to let, to keep doing it. And then they have like little reminders to be like, okay, well, this is how you do it. This is what's going on and so on. But yeah, um, Tree, I, I love what they do with her, and I'm a huge fan of those films. So um, I, I wanted her on the list, but uh, just because there's only like one or two films, I kind of kept her off. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I can definitely see her making the list sometime in the future if they expand the franchise or do more. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I guess this uh, is the end of the show. So. Thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Yeah, no problem. Uh, happy to have you on board. So uh, you've mentioned your uh, work a couple of times. So go ahead and let uh, everybody know where they can read it and find out about uh, what's going on with you. Yeah. Um, so if you're ever looking to follow me on social media, I am pretty much on everything. Uh, and my username is very simple. It's just Caitlin Marceau, which is my name. <laughs> um, I also have a website, so you can always find me at CaitlinMarceau.ca. Um, and my my big work, I guess, coming out is actually my first collection. Uh, it's called Palimpsest. It is available as of March 16th from Ghost Orchid Press. Um, it's currently available for pre-order for Kindle on Amazon. Uh, and paperbacks are available through uh, the Ghost Orchid Press store, the web store. Um, but it will be available in paperback on Amazon as well as it's released on March 16th. And if you can't wait to get a hand, you know, your hands on a copy of that, I will also be out in the uh, January, early February. It's one of the two. I think it's early February um, issue of Phantasmagoria magazine. So that's where you can find me. 
Awesome. All right. Um, I will have everything uh, linked down below in the show notes for you to uh, follow. So be sure you do that. Uh, like I said, thank you again for uh, being on board. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, until next time, we will see you then. Bye. Bye.